May the words in my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen. I have always been fascinated by the concept and the doctrine of the Trinity. I don't know why. It could simply be because of that hymn we just sang, Holy, Holy, Holy. I don't know about for you, but for me, sometimes the words, sometimes the melody, sometimes it feels when I sing those words according to that tune that I'm almost touching the mystery and magnificence of God. It could be something as simple as that. I don't know, but I've always really enjoyed, I hope I've always enjoyed, the concept of the Trinity. When I was a student at Trinity School for Ministry, one of my classes was a self-study on a major theologian. I think it took me like five minutes to decide that I was going to read St. Augustine's book on the Trinity. St. Augustine, of course, being one of the great theological minds of Christian history. I thought that when I finished this great book, I would have a clear understanding of what the Trinity was. Well, not only did it take time to figure out how to read this authoritative translation of St. Augustine's Latin. Latin is this language that is just like way out in left field for me sometimes. It took a while just to get into the rhythm of reading those words. But when I finished the book and I wrote my paper, I discovered I was no closer to understanding the Trinity than when I began. In some respects, I may have even been more confused. The classic definition of the Trinity is rather simple and straightforward. There is one God, only one God. This one God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The minute you say that, however, you start running into problems. The primary one being, of course, how, just how can this be? How can one God be three distinct persons? How can three distinct persons be one God, not three gods? All I can say is that St. Augustine couldn't answer the question. I would be foolish to even try to do so. The Trinity, however, is a concept, an idea that the Church has held on from the very beginning, from the very beginning of our existence as a Church. There are times that you come across the Trinity in the reading of the Scriptures, such as we found in our readings from Romans and from John. And so from the very beginnings of the Church's life, there's references to the Trinity. N.T. Wright, in his series, uh, which he entitles Christian Origins and the Question of God, in his first volume, he writes that the early church held on to a monotheistic framework, a one-God framework, because that was a framework that they took and they received from the Jewish faith from which they all came from. So they took this one-God framework, but into that one-God framework, they began to incorporate Jesus. And they incorporated Jesus in such a way that they gave authority to Jesus. They gave worship to Jesus that should only be given and accorded to Yahweh. Yahweh would have been the term they more than likely would have used for the term for God 
It certainly is what's found oftentimes in the Old Testament. And those early Christians all would have come out of the Jewish faith, and so they would have taken that term Yahweh with them. They took the terms about Yahweh, they took the worship of Yahweh, they took the authority of Yahweh, and they began to apply the same things to Jesus. And you can find places like that in the New Testament as well. In Philippians 2, Paul talks about how Jesus, though he was in the form of God, and that kind of quality of God is something to be grasped, but emptied himself. But at the end of that passage, Jesus is glorified and brought up into the heavens. It's given the same kind of majesty that God himself is given, or that Yahweh himself is given. Then on top of that, you throw the gift of the Spirit, which we celebrated last week on Pentecost Sunday. The Spirit, and sometimes when you read in the Old Testament, the Spirit can seem to be Yahweh himself, but there are other times when the Spirit seems to be separate from Yahweh. Depending on which version of the scriptures you read, in the beginning, in the creation, it's God who creates the world, but it's the Spirit. Sometimes it's the wind, but it's the Spirit that hovers over the chaos at the beginning. Somehow that Spirit is Yahweh, but somehow that Spirit is separate from Yahweh as well. I'm not sure how they held on to that, but they did. And they sort of held both together. And so what the early church was able to do somehow was to take all the stuff they knew about Yahweh, all they knew about the Spirit, and all they were learning about Jesus, and brought it all together under that term, it's one God. Not three gods, just one. The early church didn't have the language that we find in the Apostles and Nicene's creeds and some of the other things written around that time. But basically the Apostles and Nicene's creeds didn't create something new. They tapped into a tradition that had been going on for 400 years, almost coming from the mouth of Jesus himself. They addressed certain questions and certain issues that were prominent for them in their time and their day, and they used words and terms that would have been understandable to that culture. But the idea had been there for 400 years. At this point, it seems to me at least, the more and more we get into this idea of God as Trinity, the more complex it becomes. The more complex it becomes, the more confusing it becomes as well. The simplest thing to do, of course, would be just to shake our heads in bewilderment, shake our heads in confusions, maybe throw up our arms and say, oy vey, or whatever. Stop the sermon and go on, because the more we go on, the more confused we can become. Because there's really no way to touch at the edges of the Trinity without finding complexity everywhere you go. That would be the easy way out. And I love the easy way out. But there's one aspect of the Trinity that really intrigues me. As Christians, we say that we are made in the human, or that we are made in the image of God, that humans are made in the image of God. With all that that means, it implies and probably states that we as humans are made in the image of the Trinity. We are not just made in the image of God alone. We are made in the image of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
if indeed we are made in the image of the Trinity, what would that mean for us specifically? In practical terms, the Trinity defines what it means for us to be human. It doesn't define our personalities. Our personalities are our specific variations on the theme of just being human. But the Trinity does define what it means to be human. And it defines it this way. Imagine for a moment you are completely alone, stranded on a desert island. And you have been so from birth. Yes, I know that's physically impossible, but in your imaginations, it's not. In my imagination, it's not. I don't know about your imagination, it's not. But in my imagination, I've been stranded on a desert island, and I've been so from birth, and I have survived. If you were completely alone on this desert island, how would you know who you were? You would be able to recognize things beyond yourself, but could you name those things? How would you know what those things were? You would see a tree, and you know that that tree is different from you, but could you name that tree? Just call it, I can't call all different trees what they come by their names. I don't know the apple tree from a cherry tree, but I can know a tree from everything else. I couldn't name a tree, if I didn't have any, if I, there was no way I could name that tree. I know it's there, but I couldn't name it. How would you do that if you were completely by yourself? Or you'd see an animal. An animal would be more like you in that it moves and makes noises like you move. And you make noises. You make noises. You don't make words. Where do words come from? The noises that you would be making would be the noises that you've probably been hearing for lo these many years. But they wouldn't be words, just noises. It's only when we are in relationship with another human being that we can find out who we are. Because we see that we're truly similar to that other person, not kind of like an animal, but truly like this other person, yet distinct and different as well. And it's that distinctiveness that leads to our human uniqueness. We need each other in order to be truly human. We need each other so that our distinctiveness, our uniqueness, our individuality can be known. Our distinctiveness and our individuality is what it means to be human. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit need each other so that their distinctiveness as Father or as Son or as Holy Spirit can be known. We need each other so that our distinctiveness can be known as well. Now, flip it. Think about what humanity would be like if there were no distinctiveness, if there were no individuality. Let me give you an image of what this humanity might look like. It's an image that comes from my own life. Now this image will fall apart easily and quickly if you push it too far, so please just stay with the basic image. When I was newly ordained, 
I was given the responsibility to be the director of one week of church summer camp. Now, there was a common theme for all the sessions of summer camp that year, but I was responsible for not only coming up with the lessons around that theme, for whatever reasons, I also had to come up with various group activities and some group games. I found a game that sounded to me like it could be a lot of fun. Basically, what we did is we divided everybody into four soccer teams, and one set of teams would play a game of soccer against each other, while a second set of teams did the same. So far, straightforward. But what was unique about this game in particular was that all four soccer teams played at the same time on the same field with just one soccer ball. So, yeah, you got the idea. Basically, Team A is playing at the north, Team B is the south, and they're playing along the north-south axis. Team C and Team D are playing against each other east and west. Needless, I, I can hear it in your voices, needless to say, this is a game uh, disaster in waiting. What quickly happened was that all four teams collapsed into the center of the field and became one, one mass blob of humanity, stuck in one place in the field, sometimes slightly shifting one or two feet to the right or left or forward or backwards, depending on where you were in this blob. But basically, they were stuck right in the middle of the field with some poor soccer ball, somewhere in the midst of all of them, being kicked around from person to person. If these were highly trained soccer players, and they knew how to stay in their respective parts of the field, the game may, I say may, have worked. But these were untrained high school students being supervised by an extremely untrained new priest. The game quickly devolved into one blob of humanity with nobody unique and distinct from anyone else. Community can only happen when people are unique. Can only happen when people are distinct one from another. Basically taking the soccer image, staying in their respective parts in the field, and basically not trying to go somewhere else and do something else somebody else is assigned to do. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because... I'm sorry, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one God because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are distinct individuals, separate from one another, yet in community with one another as well. Individuality and community are like two sides of one coin. Community creates uniqueness. Uniqueness creates community. And it's in that respect that we are Trinitarian in nature. Our being human is Trinitarian. Think back for a moment to creation. Adam would have been the first person stranded on a desert island. Now, Adam could name the animals, and that's a slight variation on the scenario I painted a few moments ago. God was with him, which is another variation on the scenario. But when Adam named the animals, he could not find a soulmate. God creates Eve, and the side of each other, Adam and Eve, 
recognize their uniqueness, and together they become a community. It's Trinitarian at the very heart. Think back to St. Paul and his discussion of the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. Two verses in particular. Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. To each. Individuality. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For community. Verse 14. The body. The community. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. Individuality and uniqueness again in the midst of community. Trinitarian at the heart of what Paul may be saying, of what Paul is saying. If Trinity lies at the very heart of what it means to be human, then this Trinitarian impact will be heard in places outside the Christian faith as well. I read an article on a website, and this website is called Pointedly Pagan. Now the word pagan can be used in two ways. One way you can use that word is to ridicule and minimize somebody else. To basically, in a sense, take their humanity away. And oftentimes when you hear people using the word pagan in that way, or maybe you've done it yourself from time to time, you'll often hear scorn and ridicule in the tone of voice used. That's one way the word pagan can be used. Not a very good way, but it is a way that's been used for a long time. But there is a second way in which the word pagan can be used. It can be used as a description of a spiritual path that somebody chooses to take. There are people who have a real sense of spirituality about themselves, are in touch with the spirit or in one form or another, may not be able to quite name what that spirit is, but they find somehow in a pagan understanding of humanity, in a pagan understanding of divinity, in a pagan understanding of physical world and spiritual world, whatever, they may find within that a right path for themselves to take. This is not the time to try and get into what the differences are between pagan, Christian, and all that, because that takes me farther away from the concept of the Trinity. But it is to say that pagan can be used in the sense that it's a, a path that people willingly take for themselves in the pursuit of spirituality. And it would be in that sense that this website uses the word pagan, pointedly pagan, pointedly walking in this direction. Now, the article was titled, Pagan and Individualism. But it was a subtitle that really caught my attention. A poem that teaches individuality is shaped by relationships. This article is only two and a half pages long when you print it out, so it doesn't go into any detail. But a pagan website, a source outside the Christian tradition, talks about how individuality is shaped by relationships. And what is relationships? Is not relationships community? The author of this article may not be very happy with what I'm about to say, but individuality shaped by relationships is Trinitarian thinking. It's a Trinitarian understanding. I need you 
help shape my individuality. You need me to help shape your individuality. And when we do so together, in relationship one to another, we become community. The heart of what it means to be human, Trinitarian, reaching into a source outside the Christian tradition. As Christians, we affirm that God is one. As Christians, we affirm that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct individuals. God is one in community. God is one, is community in one. One in community, community in one. Now, I have not come any closer to describing or explaining the Trinity as was my intent from the very beginning. At most, I barely scratched the surface. And as you probably saw, the more you scratch it, the more confusing and complex it becomes. But what I have tried to do is to touch upon the difference God as Trinity makes in our day-to-day lives. What I've touched upon is how we need each other in order to become unique individuals. What I've also touched upon is how our unique individualities come together in community. Why do we have such a strong need to be individual? Because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why is there a strong need for community? Because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one God. If there is any appropriate way to respond to God being a trinity, it would be that of thankfulness, not a bewilderment, not a confusion, but thankfulness. Thankfulness for understanding, or maybe at least partially understanding, why we need to be unique, why we need each other. The Trinity is a simple doctrine to state, but quickly becomes confusing and complex. But equally as quickly, the Trinity leads us into the very essence of what it means to be a human. As I mentioned, the best possible response would be that of thankfulness. And so I'm going to give you a moment or two to quietly give thanks. To give thanks that God is a trinity. To give thanks for how the trinity impacts the core of who you are, the core of your day-to-day living. I will close in prayer momentarily. Let us pray. May the words that I say be the words that I live. May the word that you heard be the word you apply. In Jesus' name, amen.